Osiris. During the pandemic, I think we all sort of became more accustomed to being honest. <laughs> These songs were written before that time, but I think by the time they were released, we were all just sort of feeling more open. And I've found that in life in general, just like catching up with friends. Small talk is not quite as small anymore. Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. If you're gonna tell them everything, tell them I'm a good kisser. Tell them all the things you told me in your desperate whisper. If you're gonna tell them everything, don't leave out the good part. Tell them the way that you broke my heart when you told me that you missed her. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Salute the Songbird. I'm your host, Maggie Rose, and I hope that everyone had a wonderful, relaxing Thanksgiving. Maybe you ate too much, you took some naps, you got some time with your family. I certainly did. I went up to Maryland and I got a lot of hang time in with my family, saw my nieces and nephews. My parents are heroic. They had 46 people at their house. We had like three fried turkeys, my brother-in-law smoked one. And it was just so joyful, especially after last year where it was a lot of Zoom calls and people being far apart. So we made up for it and it filled up my soul. And now I'm ready to take on the last little portion of the Have a Seat tour that we're going to wrap up on New Year's Eve in St. Louis at Del Mar Hall. But I'm just so thankful for all the support that you guys have shown us in this podcast and out on the road. And I hope that you all are ready for a wonderful joy-filled holiday. So I guess this is my Christmas present to you because I'm sure that you all know of these amazing artists we're about to speak with, and you certainly know of their music because I'm talking about Rachel Price and Bridget Carney of Lake Street Dive, one of the biggest bands growing in popularity. Their music is everywhere, and it was just so great to talk to them, especially in the middle of a very busy tour that they're on. Rachel actually was on vocal rest and had decided right before we spoke that the show was going to go on that night, which was really cool. And I've been there before, but they were lovely to speak with and take some time out of a very busy schedule. Rachel was born in Australia and grew up in Tennessee, and Bridget grew up in Iowa and started playing in bands at a very young age. They both met at the New England Conservatory of Music, where they were both studying jazz. They said that they were in the minority of women to men in that enrollment but we talked about their meet cute, how they both played a part in forming the band with their fellow bandmates in 2004. We spoke about the growing pains of being in a band and what it's like to move to new levels of success faster than one would expect. We dug into their songwriting process and talked about the honesty in their lyrics, particularly those from their most recent release, Obviously, produced by Mike Elizondo, who's worked with artists like Eminem, Dr. Dre, Fiona Apple, Mary J. Blige, 21 Pilots. We got into why it's important for them to communicate the issues they care about and share their experiences with their audience. Rachel and Bridget have a super modern perspective on what it's like to be a woman in the industry, and it was very refreshing to talk to them. I know that they're clearing the path for women and musicians who are coming up behind them, and they don't really care how you categorize their music, they just want you to enjoy it. 
So let's get into it with Rachel Price and Bridget Carney of Lake Street Dive. I have a few friends who wanted me to ask you this specifically if there is a rivalry Mm. between the New England Observatory of Music and Berkeley. Oh, (laughs) there is not. Is there? I mean, I feel like there's this kind of like, because NEC is much smaller. I feel like it's one of those rivalries where like it's maybe one party that thinks there's a rivalry and the other party is like new england what where are you guys from (laughs) but it's interesting they are like right down the street from each other and there wasn't when we were there a ton of cross-pollination i keep meeting people that are like oh i was at berkeley the same time you were at nec i was what you were right there and we never met what was the initial meeting between the two of you like what was that meet cute moment that you guys have i think we met on like the second or third day of orientation i mean i have like a funny memory that's who who knows if we can even trust it at this point the way memory works probably true i don't know i remember talking to bridget because bridget was uh did a double degree which is something you can do at nec you can also go to a different school so she went to tufts at the same time Wow. And she was studying English. And so she was talking about that. And I was just like, oh, that's cool. And she was like, well, I have other interests besides music. I don't think oh she emphasized the other. No, I probably did. Uh, <laughs> my other friend also has a memory of me, like well, the first day, like in a class, like going around and they were like, say what you do. And I was like, I'm a jazz singer. Like she said, I was like very you know, bravado. So the thing is, we were all very awkward. Mm. That's what I think it was. <laughs> College tough. Oh, it was tough. Yeah. I had like a stress dye in my eye. It was great. How many people were in the jazz department for freshman class? Probably like 40 or something. I mean, there was like 100 in the whole thing. Wow. Including grad yeah. So super small. Super small. Yeah. And speaking of like women in music, were there other women in our class? Yeah, I think it was just you and me. <laughs> really? <It was> just- <laughs> I don't think there were so yeah yeah, I think it was just the two of us yeah do you think that that I don't want to say inequity because I'm sure that people just you guys were electing to be there maybe there are more women who are enrolling now in the jazz program I would surprised I definitely think there are more women was it due to just you guys having a unique interest at the time? Do you think that's changed or was it due to them not maybe admitting as many women or? My dad was an admissions thing and more of just an overall lack of encouragement of women in jazz, maybe even specifically because jazz is kind of, you know, a specific little niche. Yeah. It's like a societal problem. It's it's a cyclical illness you know it's like why aren't there more women engineers why aren't there more women mathematicians it's like because we're not made to feel welcome in those worlds as young women so you said your memory was that you had different interests than rachel maybe had when did you guys feel like the sisterhood come together i think the band probably yeah yeah Yeah. was what like built friendship it started because mcduck McDuck was a composition major and I think was somewhat dissatisfied with wanting to write B 
big band music. So he was like, I want to form a band that plays original songs. I'm going to like write lyrics, which I think being in jazz school, that was like a big departure from what we were all thought we were there to do. So he formed the band and asked us each individually. And so we didn't know each other super well. (laughs) McDuck was very formal. He like wrote the name of the band on a chalkboard. He was like, this is what I would like. And then he explained a concept that was like playing music freely, the way people play free jazz, which is like without structure, without set chord changes. And then he said, but what if it was country music played freely? And we were like, "Uh uh-huh. And we all (laughs) nodded. And then he was like, so I think we should play a blues together. And we were like, great, a blues. And then we all played the blues and we were like, we're a band. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) So I want to talk about having made music for 17 years. I mean, that's just such like a profound time to stick together and maintain a democracy within the band and have that camaraderie preserved and everything. How would you attribute your success to that? Well, I think in terms of longevity, there's a lot that needs to be taken care of in terms of communication. And just kind of like as we evolve as humans and like our needs change and our tastes change, like the things that we're into, you know, like we kind of need to keep tabs on each other with all those things and like make sure that we're still building something together that's like part of everyone's truth which can be challenging, but also is really amazing. We're like working on this collective songwriting thing right now where it's like we're just passing ideas to each other or like basically it's a song a week where people are responsible to submit one song each week and we just share them with each other and listen to each other's thing. And it's like, wow, every week I hear something brand new out of people that I've known for like half my lifetime, you know? And so it's just like being open to everyone's evolution and everyone's growth and making sure that you continue to let those things in and don't confine yourself to some box of what you thought you were or what everyone else thought you were and just let the thing continue to grow. Rachel, with you being a vocalist, like I know that you all have solo projects as well and that you collaborate with each other, but there is also kind of a skill in being able to take works that someone else in the band wrote or another individual wrote and interpreting that. Like Aretha and Etta and Whitney gave this remarkability to songs that may have otherwise maybe not had like that shine. How do you kind of determine how to interpret those other songs. How do you guys decide which songs are going to be for the band versus your own projects? Because they're all extensions of your truth. Like what's the decision-making process there? Well, the band has really been the driving force and the educational force for me becoming a versatile singer. I really don't think that I would have, well, I wasn't, had been forced to like sing in so many different styles had I not somewhat magically like fallen into a band where there's many different songwriters. And it's funny, I was listening to an old recording of ours the other day because I walked into a store and they were playing it and it was maybe 10 years old.
I think every singer has this experience. You hear something that you did that long ago, you're pretty much like appalled by it. <laughs> like all my choices, I was like, all of them were wrong. I was like, if I were teaching the singer today, I would be like, don't pronounce your words like that. Don't sing like that. Don't do these effects, all of the things. Although when I think about it, I think that song was the first time I'd ever sung rock music in my life. Like I grew up singing jazz. We met at jazz school and I had never even like approached singing like that until I was handed the song and attempted to do it. So I was like, well, you know, it was the first step. It was the stepping stone. And I was like, I've come a long way. And if someone was like, you're going to like sing rock songs on stage, I would have been like, no, I'm not. Like I like Judy Garland. Why don't you take me dancing Saturday with some drinks? Just the small example is like the many different styles that everybody writes in. And so it's really just like a matter of being called to do it. You know, you just like get the opportunity to sing in that way. And I would say that I'm still figuring it out, but I'm really happy that I've gotten the opportunity to have to force myself to sing in so many different ways. I have a few questions just about like, not as much the songwriting process, but what it was like to have just this burst of success that was seemingly overnight, even though you all had been working forever, especially after Free Yourself Up and this self-sufficient project that you guys did together. Was it disorienting? And how have you kind of managed to take it all in without becoming overwhelmed by that? It was kind of both slow and fast at the same time because yeah we had been playing together for something like seven or eight years and been on lots of road trips and made a couple albums and there was a pretty quick turning point where all of a sudden we were like on tv and so what was great about that moment was that when we were walking on these big stages for the first time, we were playing songs that we'd played hundreds of times. So you were scared and kind of like in disbelief, but at the same time, your hands knew what to do. Your body knew what to do to like put on a good performance. And so I think we were all very grateful for that. And also, you know, we'd figured out our interpersonal dynamic. We'd figured out how we, create together. And so it also didn't feel like once success was upon us, we were paralyzed by like trying to figure out what to do next. It was like, we kind of were a working machine at that point in terms of like the creative side. So it was pretty wild. Those like first couple of years of success, just living in this other world. I think the night that we played town hall we did this big concert for the Coen Brothers movie Inside Lewin Davis, and it was all these star-studded Elvis Costello and Marcus Mumford and Francis McDormand, the Coen Brothers, everybody's there. And I was like living in a living room at that time and had <laughs> sublet 
the living room. Oh my God. <laughs> so like, I just did, you know, I did not have a place to stay that night. I think I like made right. the band buy me a hotel. Cause like, um, you know, that's that whiplash. Was, so it, yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely like, there was a period of time there that was just like truly unbelievable. Yeah. And those are kind of just the growing pains. I think of going from one level to the next, like subletting an apartment, but then also being at like the most star-studded event where you are the performers and like just keeping your head on straight in transitional moments like that from where you are at your standing in life and your art. And I mean, it's like a huge balancing act and not just with your music, but with, you know, keeping, keeping the chemistry together and alive and, and the democracy we were talking about with the creation of the art and everything. Were you guys traveling around in a sprinter before all of this happened? How are you making it happen in the early days? At first, our early tours all revolved around flying to Iowa City, where Bridget's from, so that right. we could get her parents home. So it was like all revolved around the van. And then it was two different cars of mics that we drove into the ground. And that was like a base in the front seat. And then yeah. three people in the back. It was hilarious. <laughs> and then the van that we bought in Iowa and that van, we also ran into the ground and then we did a tour in a sprinter and then we did a, a tour on a bus. That was an insane transition for us. You played Kayamo and Brandy Carlisle's Girls Just Want a Fun Weekend and with artists like Jeff Tweedy. And these are all pretty, they vary in the kind of audiences that they cater to. Did you feel like that was a big conduit to engaging the right audience was just by kind of associating with those acts that you wanted to get in front of? Did you feel like that started to galvanize people's understanding of your versatility? Definitely. And I think we don't really have an easy way to define like what our audience might be like. We don't have a set demographic. We've always had all ages audiences. If anything, they've gotten a bit younger or like they've stayed the same age and we've gotten younger people at our shows. And so as far as who we play with, we're pretty open because we don't really have a genre that feels 100% satisfactory for what we do. We say pop, we say soul, and these are all, they're all mixed in there. But I think our philosophy about music is just that we want to play music that we like. And that's the same way we feel about playing shows with other people, going on tour with them. It's like, do we like it? And beyond that, we don't really care about the genre. And I think that that's the type of audience that we have, an audience that doesn't really care about what type of genre it is. It's not like scene music or music that has like an aesthetic quality to it that like matches a lifestyle. It's just sort of, it is what it is. There's some songs that I think you really masterfully crafted that have pretty great heavy messages that are of the zeitgeist, like being a woman and making do and even hush money. And there's still like a levity to the songs when you listen to them, but being a woman has a line like 80 cents to the dollar and 
making do is about climate change is my assessment of it. And even hush money kind of alludes to the lack of transparency in the media. Like what is the importance of delivering those messages to your audience, but also making them easily digestible sonically to where people know that, you know, this is something they can review again and again, but take away something from. Yeah, I think we gravitated more towards writing songs that were like topical or outside of the realm of love songs on the last couple albums. And I think that's just been a personal journey of what's really moving us at a given moment. The last couple of years just have been really heavy and there's a lot in the news that's like been weighing on our on our minds and our hearts right and so like that stuff that whatever is on your mind and in your heart is like what you should be writing a song about you know and there's no rules in terms of like boundaries of you can't write songs about that you can't write songs about that or like again i mean the genre thing can be thematic too it's like because you're playing a certain instrument or a certain type of venue doesn't mean you can only talk about like how someone broke your heart. No, hell no. Yeah. So yeah, that kind of just like started happening organically and we were all just open to it and ready to take that on although of course you get the occasional blowback from that kind of thing one of the reasons that my timeline when we first started our conversation was confused is because these are all themes that you wrote about and recorded before the pandemic yet i think that they were seasoned so beautifully like to have waited to finally give them away to your audience after everything that we had all been through almost makes them more impactful and more relevant because those themes have just become more of an issue to rally around and to make a stand on. And it's funny to like be kind of driving along, listening to your record and being like, this is so danceable and this is so fun. And then you dig into what you're saying and you're like, oh shit, this is a hefty, beautiful, poetic take on this particular issue. Yeah, well... I think what you're speaking to is something that is very cool that happened sort of, I think, collectively, which is during the pandemic, I think we all sort of became more accustomed to being honest (laughs) and therefore as listeners and as people just absorbing what our friends and family and what the world was saying at large, we became more accustomed to hearing like the honest feelings about people's experience. And also just like absorbing the message that it's important to understand different perspectives and how a person is authentically feeling every day in their life and in this world. And that is a really cool thing that happened for everybody. And so these songs were written before that time, but I think by the time they were released, we were all just sort of feeling more open. And I've found that in life in general, just like catching up with friends, it's like, Small talk is not quite as small anymore. You know, it's like, we don't really talk about the weather. We talk about climate change. You know, we're just like, oh, it's really disturbing how hot it is outside. When you're making do with 
I think it has been collective. And I also think that if we're going through it as these seasons, like we were really upended as everyone was after Trump got elected. And then there was a lot of time, there was years to sort of absorb that and really think about it. And so I do think that in general, like a lot of art got more, I don't know, the messages I think got sophisticated because we had those years to think about it. And then we all sat at home for 15 months. With all things, there's balance. And with all horrible things, there will be these positives that will happen. That's how I think life works. So you make an interesting point too, that like sometimes we'll be delivering a sort of devastating message in a like delightful little package, you know, and like, there's this challenge, which like, if you are telling a certain sad story or telling a certain important truth, then you have to figure out how to deliver it in a way that's not off-putting, you know, in a way that's like personal and relatable, but not like preachy or you don't want to like close the door for someone who might be wanting to hear that message, but doesn't know that they do, you know? Right. So yeah, that's definitely like part of what we've talked about as a band is like, we're willing to take on some of these challenging issues and hopefully do it in a way that's like hopeful and in some way positive, like in some way, just shedding light on an issue in the hopes that it will get solved. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Rachel and Bridget. It was very exciting to speak with them because they have so much going on and they really have captivated this unique audience. I think we get a lot of comparisons drawn between their music and my own because we occupy this space that doesn't settle in one place for too long. But I have to admit, I'll just share with you, my listener, that I didn't feel like I was on the day that we spoke. I walked away from the conversation and just felt like I hadn't brought my A game. And maybe I was in my head. Maybe I was a little nervous about speaking to two women whom I admire so much. But that is the case with all my guests. And I just kind of felt a little down on myself after the fact. And I listened back to the conversation and I loved it. It was clearly three women who share so many common interests talking to each other and sharing their experience and being generous with their experiences and their time. So my takeaway from this week is more about the fact that it's all more forgiving than you think. I think we just have to trust the process and realize that we're all just out here trying to figure it out and talk through it. So let's get back to our friends, Rachel and Bridget. What are you guys doing for the rest of this tour as far as I know that you've been working your asses off and everything? Is there a break in sight? And what is the schedule coming up? Well, yeah, we're actually talking to you at the tail end of a long tour. I guess we've been out for about six weeks now and we only have a few more shows left. So in a lot of ways, it's actually flown by because we had so much time off. It was like, oh. How do you feel like your audiences have been receiving it? 
Was there a new restored sense of gratitude or enthusiasm that you're seeing from your fans? That's what I've been observing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Better crowds than ever. And, you know, each show doesn't feel just like a show. And that's a cool feeling to have. And it's also like kind of startling. Oh, I think sometimes I got off stage and I was like, oh, another show done. And it doesn't feel like that anymore. You get off stage and you're like, ooh, we did another, we did another show. show. Yeah, we're like, we did it. And like, what a gift, what a blessing, like, what a good feeling. Being a woman is a full time job. Being a woman is a full time job. Being a woman is a full time job. And I work all day. And I work all night. Being a What do you guys love about being women in the industry? I feel like so often we talk about what makes it more challenging, but what do you perceive to be an advantage? I mean, I suppose the perspective, you know, it's just the lyrics to the songs, you know, that's that's legitimate. That is an important thing to have. Even a lot of my favorite singers and my favorite songs that are great songs and there's Nothing wrong, obviously, with a guy writing a song, but a lot of those songs were written by men, too. So, you know, I think that's probably the the biggest benefit. And it's great to see other women doing it. And I think that there's so much more, like, space for, like, different types of women, you know, different types of voices, songwriters, vibes these days than there ever used to be. And that's nice. It's nice to see us all sort of making space for each other because of course whenever there's any type of oppression it limits the space but I don't really see that I feel like there's a great like opening right now yeah I just think that like whatever your identity is it shouldn't keep you from doing anything so it's like just glad to be me doing what I'm doing whoever I am That's a wrap. You can keep up with Rachel and Bridget on their socials at Bridget Carney Music and Rachel Price Pants. Also follow Lake Street Dive at Lake Street Dive and make sure to go check out their wonderful new record. Obviously, their seventh studio album. It's available everywhere. You've probably heard it on the radio already today. And to keep up with me, my music, and my touring calendar, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I am Maggie Rose. Come see us out on the Have a Seat Tour. We just have a few dates left, and it has been such a trip. And we've already got some plans cooking for next year, so if you can't see us on this tour, don't worry. We'll surely see you in the next couple months. Find me on With The Band for exclusive content and salute the Songbird content, along with new music, live stream concerts, and more. Salute the Songbird is brought to you by Osiris Media, hosted by Maggie Rose. Produced by Austin Marshall, Maggie Rose, Kirsten Cluthy, and Brad Stratton. Editing by Justin Thomas at Revoice Media. Music by Maggie Rose. Show logo by Premier Music Group. Graphics by Catherine Boyles. 
please subscribe to Salute the Songbird on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. And if you like the show, please recommend it to a friend or leave us a review so that others can join the conversation. Thanks for listening. Happy holidays. And to close out the show, here's Hypotheticals from their album, Obviously, by Lake Street Dive. Obviously, we're at the beginning of something. I don't.